Welcome to the Tech Legal Matters podcast by iAfrican Radio. Since 2015, we at iAfrican.com have been doing research and publishing about significant data breaches and leaks across Africa. Some we have reported on publicly, while others were too sensitive and we simply notified the relevant authorities without publicly reporting on them. During the same period, we have also researched and reported extensively on cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection-related matters across Africa. What we have always observed is that not many people and organizations understand the legal implications of the various technologies that they use. In this podcast, we will explore these topics and more with a specific focus on the intersection of technology and the law, how that affects you as an individual, but also from a business perspective. New episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast will be broadcast every Friday. The podcast will also feature analysis, insights, and commentary from attorneys who specialize in information and communications technology law. My name is Defo Mohapi, and I will be your host. As the internet and various digital platforms are now part of most of our daily lives, they also come with some legal risks at an individual level. One thing that is common among many digital platforms is a collection of your personal data. This can be personally identifying information, such as your national identity number or social security number in some countries, financial information such as payment details you use on e-commerce platforms, or even your health data. In some cases, these digital platforms take precautions to ensure that your data is securely stored and not accessible to anyone who shouldn't have access to it. However, in other cases, like we have seen over the years at iAfrican.com with various data breaches, this data can fall into the wrong hands. Joining us on this episode of the Tech Legal Matters podcast is Rob Shevel, CEO of an American company that specializes in various solutions for personal data protection. Thank you for joining us, Rob. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Quickly, how do I pronounce your surname and company name? Well, the company name, we used to pronounce it Abin, but all of our customers started to pronounce it Abine. At least here in the United, at least here in the United States. So as a as a company that listens to its customers, we ourselves started to call it Abine. And there's a, just a little interesting story behind it. We never wanted it to be the name of our company, but it started out as an abbreviation or an acronym for a bit is not enough. And what we what we meant by that is a bit of privacy and security is not enough to get real privacy and security. So we wanted to bring together some features and solutions to make it easier for people in their digital lives, just like you were saying, to get some control over their personal information. I like that you mentioned that. So let's get straight to it. I mean, it seems that more as more and more people come online, we can expect the legal and security risks to uh, related to their personal data on the internet also to increase. Is, is that a right take on it? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting for people that are interested in the intersection, as I think your listeners are, of law and technology, as it relates to personal data and people's everyday control of their information, there has never been more going on in the world, not not in any not just in one particular country or region, but in the entire world, everyone is starting to think about this because the problem as, as you just suggested, has gotten uh, worse and worse. Yeah, and, and also, it also feels like, like following on to that, it also feels like 
every big company, especially big companies that collect people's data in one way or another, it feels like one day inevitably they will suffer a breach of some sort. Do you share that sentiment? I do. I don't think there's anything that, that can really be called perfectly secure. And, and we have, as you, as you just pointed out, we have evidence of, of that, data breach after data breach after data breach. Unfortunately, nothing is perfectly secure. And so we can expect when we share our data that to, at least today, with the technologies that we have today, which by the way, are not new. Most of the technologies we're using to store data encrypted on a database, no matter what fancy words corporate cybersecurity professionals come up with, it's, it's the same old technology. And by the way, it's, it's inherently insecure. I like that you mentioned that. I mean, in, in one of our other podcasts, we spoke to an ex-anonymous hacker and we were just talking about hacking and he was explaining how people would go about hacking anything. And it's basically, as you say, there's nothing perfectly secure. And it mostly is about sort of reverse engineering because another human being wrote the code. It's almost as if another human being can reverse engineer it and find a way through it. That's, that's right. And, and, and let's not forget, people are part of the equation, not just as engineers writing code, but also as the custodians of the systems that we use. So look at the, the uh, data breach we had at Twitter where you know, the famous people's accounts were taken over uh, recently. That was just a social engineering hack. Somebody became friends with somebody internally and, and got their uh, access control. So unfortunately, it's a combination of, of technology and humans. And as we all know, except for uh, the current president of the United States, nobody's perfect. That's true. I was about to mention social engineering as well, that sometimes the weakest link is human beings who who are sort of custodians of these systems and data. But also among other things, you have companies that, among companies that collect data, you have companies called data brokers. Now for our listeners who are not familiar with these types of companies, could you elaborate on what they do? Yes. So data broker is a broad term that refers really to any company that's collecting personal identifiable information about any of us, and then selling it, uh, usually to other companies, but sometimes also to individuals. And data brokers are different, and they come in different shapes, sizes, and forms, and they are different by region. So, for example, in the United States, we've had almost no regulation of data brokers since the internet began. And so we have had an explosion of companies that go grab as much data as they can about all of the citizens all over the place, US and all over the world, and try to create as detailed profiles about each of us as they can. And there really hasn't been any regulation uh, to stop them. And in fact, most of what they do is legal. So those are the data brokers that we are most worried about today because they have hundreds and hundreds of millions of records and they're getting better every year at making those records more accurate and more detailed. That's interesting because I always thought that you, the U.S. would have some, some progressive laws around this because in South Africa, a law just came into effect on the 1st of July with a grace period of 12 months. So effectively, it comes like it's enforceable on the 1st of July 2021 called the 
Protection of Personal Information Act. Basically, and if I can summarize quickly for you, for your purposes and for the listeners, it has three parts to it in terms of protecting uh, people's personal information. It says that data by a company must only be collected for the purposes of conducting the company's business. So if you're a Let's, to give an example, if you're a financial institution, you should only collect data on a person to help you sort of process payments, if I can put it that way. And secondly, you should store it securely and it should not, it should not be used for any other purpose except those purposes. And it took a while because this law has been in sort of uh, being debated and being passed around for several years, if not a decade now. And we had in 2017, one of the data brokers, that's why I'm quite interested in data brokers and to understand how that works in the US as well. One of the data brokers had an interesting incident where one of their staff members forgot an SQL database on a publicly available FTP uh, uh, site, one of their FTP sites or FTP servers. And this was, I, we managed because we constantly look and research for, for breaches. We found it and we were alerted that it was available Then we searched and we found it with a Google Doc search. And because the law was not enforceable, then they got away with it. And just to give you, and speaking to your point about data brokers collecting information to create accurate profiles of citizens, this database had almost everyone in South Africa's details. So it had about <laughs> close to six close to 60 million records in the SQL database. It was a large SQL database. And it had everything from a national identity number, which is like a social security number in the USA, to your physical address and previous physical addresses. It had uh, what directorships of companies you are. So it collated all manner of data about a person. But because the law was not enforceable, nothing could be done at the time. Now, my next question is, in the US or anywhere in the world, is it possible to even get your data removed from a data broker's database? Yeah, well, I think what you just brought up, the new data protection laws that are just coming into coming to, into shape and, and, and starting to be enforceable, both in, in, in South Africa and, and really across the world now that the EU GDPR gave many data data privacy commissioners and entities around the world a model or a framework to to use to try to draft their own laws. What what we are seeing is consumers getting some legal rights, some powers to go request their, be able to request what data is available about them from companies and to opt out or to remove it. And so that is new. It's different than for the skeptics in the audience here. It's different than what uh, people's previous rights were. And I'm really not talking about the U.S. because we're in the United States here. We're behind. We haven't passed a federal privacy law and we are still you know, mired in politics and disagreement and things like that. I do think it will happen. But all over the world, and I think you know, a lot of uh, Pan-African nations are, are, are looking at, if not in, uh, passing already, some of these new data protection laws, it does give us all as normal, everyday digital users of services, new rights and new protections that we can use. Now, another question is, will we use them? Yeah. Um, and that that's where I think it's, 
you know, it's open for debate and I'd love to hear your perspective or, or anybody else that, that might want to follow up with comments. But one of the problems that I have seen in a decade of, of time in the privacy and security space is that people are busy. People are in some ways not interested in going out and doing a whole lot of things to protect their privacy when they don't see a direct threat. Um, the database of, of, you know, of, of, of everyone's national ID is a great example. What do you do about something like that? And how can you protect yourself? And even if I have new rights, how do I enforce them? And what, what my company hopes to do is to use these, is to make it easy for people to actually exercise their rights, get the information that they want to get uh, removed from companies, databases, removed from data brokers, and basically clean up their digital profile. And, and what, what our hope is, is that these new laws all around the world, not just in the United States, will enable a marketplace of, of startups and innovative companies that will help busy people who don't have the time and don't want to make special efforts to protect their privacy will give them an, uh, the right tools and services to do that. You raise a very important point in terms of will we use these laws or how do we enforce them? I mean, going back to the example I gave of South Africa, even though the law was not enforceable, the data protection law was not enforceable at the time, there were other avenues that we as citizens could have Sort of taken this legal legally but it like no one as you say had the time or the energy to enforce their rights if i can put it that way no one took it up and i, I can't re recall a single person ever taking it up to take this invest or take this investigation further or take the company responsible to task so i think it's quite important the work that you guys do as abine to make it easier for people to enforce their, their data privacy and data protection rights. Now, generally speaking, and given these increasing risks, what precautions should we all be taking to protect our sensitive data on the internet? It's a great question, and we get that. It's the number one question we get. And my answer to people is do, do a few basic things when you know they're on their browser on their phone or on their browser on their computer and doing a few basic things won't get you perfect privacy it won't get you perfect security but it's a lot better than not doing them and the few basic things we'd recommend are uh, things that many of your audience may already be doing or already know so use a tracker blocker or an ad blocker that stops all of this information about our browsing history leaking out to all these other ad networks and third parties that then share with other data brokers the data about where we've gone on the internet, what we've searched for, what apps we use, all this kind of stuff. So that's an easy thing to do. Um, they're, they're, they're generally free and you can install them on your phone or and, and your computer. So that's, that's one thing. Secondly, use, use a password manager. It's a good idea to have everybody uh, should be doing that by now and your important accounts should have a second factor authentication so that you, you can make sure uh, nobody's accessing them without both your phone and your uh, password. Um, and then, you know, we, 
at a VPN can be useful. It's not going to solve all your problems, but it can be it can be useful. And then so that's three. And then fourth, I often suggest that people shouldn't get too cozy with one friend in the cloud. And what I mean by that is if you're an Apple user or you're a Google user or you're a Microsoft user, don't use everything they offer you. Maybe use yeah. Google folders for one thing or Microsoft Live Mail for your mail and keep, keep things partitioned away from one big company having all of the data about you in all the different contexts that you spend a lot of your digital time in, if that makes any sense. That makes, that makes good sense because you, you're sort of minimizing the risk or any one point of risk. Now, I know that your company, Abine, also offers some solutions around personal data protection. Can you walk us through some of them? Yeah, I mean, we basically have two solutions that solve two different problems uh, that we're talking about. One solution is called Delete Me, and you sign up for, for Delete Me, and we go out and find where your personal information is, uh, is stored at different data brokers. And then we go remove it and opt you out of all of those data brokers. And then you get a report that shows you where your information was found and where we removed it and how long that process typically takes, that sort of thing. So the, that, the Delete Me service is designed to help keep, and it's an annual service. We do it, we search on your behalf and we find information that's out there uh, and you get four different reports every every year to make sure that your profile is is lower online and that the data brokers that do find information about you, however they do it, uh, and that's a whole other topic of conversation, how do they get that information, um, yeah. you know, keep, you're kept off of their databases and their publicly available uh, searchable databases. So that's our, that's our first solution and, and, and obviously it's a growing problem because there's more data brokers and there's more information that we're putting out there all the time. And your other product? Our other product is called Blur. And it's called Blur because it's meant to blur your identity when you go online. And the way it does that is it starts with a password manager, which I hope many people are familiar with. Uh, and it functions just like a password manager, except that instead of offering to make you a new password, when you sign up for a new website, it, it will also offer to make you other unique credentials so that you can sign up with a unique email address. If they, want a phone, if, if they want a phone number, you can use a unique phone number. And if, they want, if you want to shop somewhere and you don't want to give them your payment information, you can make a unique credit card and submit that credit card to that website. So what you're doing is extending this idea of, hey, use a different password everywhere to other credentials that you're sharing with third parties. Hey, use a different email everywhere, use a different credit card everywhere, use a different phone number everywhere, so that if there's a data breach, very importantly, back to our original conversation, if you have used one of our, one of Blur's credit cards and the company's data, the, co the company later gets data breached, you don't care because that credit card is now has no value on it. And it's, it's like a burner way. credit card. Yes. Yes. It's like we're creating burner. The, the blur product creates burner information, but information for every website that you want it to, and it stores it 
so that and remembers it so that you don't so you can autofill it easily when you come back and you don't have to remember it again. And then we have a big server that we manage that routes all those emails and phone calls and payments between any web, any website that you that you want to exchange data with and your real private information which is kept in your account profile in Blur. So that's what that product does and you know it does it does give you a lot more control over what information you share with who. Okay, that that sounds like it helps. But then a, a lay person would ask, doesn't that make you a target? Yeah. So the first question we get with Blur is, well, why should I trust you guys to store my real information if you're creating, you know, what what makes you any better than anybody else? And there's only two there's only two answers and and neither of them are perfect. One answer is for your passwords, for example, we don't we we uh, never store them on our servers in a way that we can decrypt them. So they're only created uh, and stored on your computer or on your phone if you have our app. And if you ever sync, synchronize your information between your, your different devices, we never have access to, to that process. So we couldn't, even if there was a data breach of our servers, we couldn't decrypt the data and the hackers that got into the files couldn't have to decrypt it. They couldn't decrypt the data either. So it's as if it's as if somebody broke into a bank, but instead of a being a, there being a bunch of money, there's you know thousands and thousands of other lock boxes inside the bank, each with a different combination, which only the customers know, not the not the bank manager. So that's the architecture of the the product for security. So that's the first answer of why you can trust our our product. But frankly, all you know, most of the good modern password managers follow that same security practice. Not all of them, but most of them. Yes. And the other, the the, the second answer is uh, when we're talking about creating burner information that you're giving out to third parties. Every time you're doing that, one less company has your real data. And yes, you know. If you want to continue to use to use all these different email addresses and get them sent to your your real email address, your private email address, we have to, as a company, know who you are and know what your your email address is. So it's possible that a hacker could come in and, and exploit that. But you know, our answer is that it's much better to have your information on one database than it is to have it at a hundred different databases. That's correct. Rob, thank you very much for your time and sharing some tips on how we can all protect ourselves in life. Thanks for having me. Remember to tell your friends, family, and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. And subscribe to get notified on new episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.